The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I am excited to be joined this week by Hale Varsity's managing editor, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm good. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little embarrassed though. Have you seen what's happening with U.S. soccer and the the bear halters and the rainias? Yeah. Uh, sudden, you know, the U.S. goes to the World Cup. Kind of, in my view, acquitted itself fairly well. Um, ran up against a Holland team that's just better, and that's fine. It's okay. Youngest team at the World Cup. And then you came home and, and got like little league baseball parent drama, apparently, uh, based on what I've been able to gather. So, um, and not, not that, you know, Burhalter with, I guess, his comments that kind of kicked this thing off and came out, you know, that weren't meant to be part of the, the public sphere, uh, didn't play a role in this, but it's just like, man, how messy. And you think at the, the biggest stage, literally, for, for soccer in this country, uh, maybe you'd be past some of this stuff, but sports make us irrational. I just, I, I just feel, um, I don't know. I feel a little comfort knowing that the highest levels of soccer in this country operates very similar to low level, um, you know, youth soccer in small town Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, where soccer moms just go crazy. Essentially, like for people that don't know what's happening, essentially what happened is Gio Reina, and I think he's 18 or 19, like he's still, you know, in, in, a, in a parent's view, he's still a child, didn't play in the World Cup. And then his parents decided that they were going to try to ruin the coach's life over it and drug up something that was 30 years old and that presumably the people in question have moved on from. Um, and then I don't know if you saw... Gio Reina's mom's statement to The Athletic. We're recording this on Thursday. I think it was Thursday or, or Wednesday where, in effect, she said, I did what I did because my son was was being talked about poorly on Twitter. Like he like mean tweets were tweeted about Gio Reina. And so his mom was like, I am going to tell people about this domestic assault situation that occurred in 1991. I, incredible. Yeah. The thing that popped into my head was Taylor Twelman from 2014 going, what are we doing? He went on Sports Center the other day. I think he was on Outside the Lines, and I wanted him to do it again. It looked like he was getting close to it, and then he didn't do it. I wanted him to do it again because that's where we're at. 
Yeah, that that is where we're at. The, you're right. Uh, the 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 statement from Mrs. Reyna certainly. I was like, okay, wow. Um, it it really is just. It's kind of like you said. It's kind of shocking to think about where this you know what level we're talking about here we're talking about the world cup team um and, and it is operating it's such a kind of dumbed down something you probably encountered multiple times if you played youth sports though in my experience uh getting older is has largely been that lesson over and over again you know as a kid you're like oh well up there like people know what they're doing and things run well and you get older and you're just like no everybody's just trying to figure it out human behavior is human behavior at the end of the day yeah i just kind of feel bad for geo like i like i have i have a hard time imagining that this doesn't completely ruin his career like i don't know how... yeah that's the... go ahead go ahead it, 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 that's that was one of my first or second thoughts too of like you've got a, a professional soccer player a very very bright and talented young soccer player um, who, you know, made the World Cup team, as you said, I think he's 18 or 19, um, and is part of that team, that program's future, presumably. And now you got to be like, really, mom? Like, who knows what his response to it was? But that was my response, putting myself in his shoes. Like, mom, just stay out of it. Uh, this, is, this is national and international soccer we're talking about here. Yeah, like, not that, you know, like, Real Madrid – Chelsea, Manchester, not that some of those clubs were like lining up to sign Gio Reyna after the World Cup ended. But like if you if you're one of those sporting directors and you're looking at the situation, you're like, let's let's say we sign this kid and then our manager puts him on the bench for a couple games like we're going to are we going to get angry phone calls from mom? Like, is that really what we're going to do? Like, man, 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 man. Um, Let me try to tie this back. This is why. Instead of sending angry tweets to the recruit, you tweet at the recruit's parents because the parents are the ones that hold all the power here in the situation. There you go. That's my tie back. Um, Brandon, I want to talk to you today about the college football playoff semifinals, which in, in my estimation were the, the best set of semifinals that we've gotten. And it's not, it's not a unique take. Everybody's been saying it's the best set of semifinals we've gotten. Two competitive games, two very entertaining games. Um just I, I, like as somebody that just enjoys watching college football and just loves watching good football games, um, you had to be giddy watching these playoff semifinals on the 31st, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for one, I, I am somebody who enjoys the December 31st playoff semifinals because it gives me a reason as someone who's too old to go out on New Year's to like not even have to like entertain that. Be like, sorry, it's college football playoffs. Uh, collectively, as a two game two game set, there I, I give them a nine and a half out of ten. It's it's only being deducted a half point because if you uh, if you had TCU and Ohio State a money line parlay, you you really would have liked to have seen that that last field goal uh, have a little bit more of a shot to go through, but. Maybe that's just uh, an individual concern for myself. Uh, yeah, I take it you're speaking in terms of personal experience there. <laughs> uh, in terms of the games themselves, super fun. I mean, there was nothing fluky about what TCU did. They came in and played really well, had a really, really high success rate against the Michigan State defense, which is an indication that this wasn't just, you know, getting hot from three, so to speak. And then Ohio State, really dangerous team that, you know, had a month after getting demolished by Michigan and all kind of the big pitcher questions about Ryan Day showed that, oh, no, you know, we're 
still a really talented team that spent a lot of the year ranked at number one or number two in, in most of the power rankings out there. Yeah, I mean, um, so you nothing fluky about what TCU did. I was somebody that spent a large percentage of the regular season thinking that everything about TCU was fluky. Um, I, I don't know if you do the college football bowl mania thing when you go by confidence picks. Michigan over TCU was my 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 highest confidence pick. There, I think it was like 43 points max you could get. I had Michigan over TCU as my 43-point pick. I gave them no chance in this game, largely because I guess maybe I just fell victim to the perception that we sort of hold as a college football public that the Big Ten and the SEC play big boy football and the Big 12 doesn't. But I also watched like – it just seemed like Sonny Dykes kept making decisions that like put his teams in put his team in positions to lose football games and somehow they managed to just like you know like the shotgun uh field goal that they have, what the bazooka field goal or whatever they called it, where they somehow managed to get out of that game with a win. I was just like, this team it just seems like like a good story, but the road ends here, like Cincinnati a year ago. And then that was not the case. And they went toe-to-toe with like a Harbaugh Michigan team, a true Harbaugh Michigan team, and they beat the crap out of them at the line of scrimmage, which was very surprising. Was it surprising to you as well? Yeah, it was absolutely surprising. I don't, uh, I don't tweet all that often these days, but watching that game late in the game, you had Michigan, which won the the Moore Award for the top offensive line in the country. And at the point I looked, I think TCU had twelve tackles for loss. Like it wasn't, you know, they had some some big takeaways in that game, and then both teams had had big plays. But the degree to which they were able to to be in the Michigan backfield was the the most shocking piece of that, I think. Because um, I would have been with you. I didn't do a bull pick them this year, um, but I would have had Michigan pretty high on those uh, on the confidence point scale as well. And for me, I think it would have been looking at those two Kansas State games. So. TCU was very much on the ropes against K-State in the, the first meeting. Um, <clears throat> Wildcats lost Adrian Martinez and then his backup in that game. And then, of course, the Wildcats beat him in the Big 12 title game. So K-State kind of plays as much like a Big 10 team as you'll find, I think, in the, the Big 12. So that sort of straight ahead control the line of scrimmage piece probably gave I mean TCU was in a lot of close games this year but probably gave that team as much trouble as as anybody in 2022 but if you're gonna go from unranked in the preseason to playing for a national title like special seasons tend to to happen this way you win a bunch of those close games but it left me going into that semifinal kind of like I appreciate TCU I'm glad they're here but I was a little dubious as well I think I saw something. I don't remember who I saw it from, but TCU was like a, a two thirty to one long shot to win the national title before the year. Now they get to play for a national title game, which I still haven't fully wrapped my brain around that TCU is playing for a national championship. And I think the most incredible part of this TCU story is the fact that this is a program that built a statue for a head coach who didn't win a national championship, then fired that coach. And in year one, after firing that coach, someone new has them playing for a national championship. So like TCU, I think there's going to be a ton of think think pieces written about TCU this offseason. Um, they are 32nd in the talent composite. 
they are a team that when Sonny Dykes got there, he hit the transfer portal hard. They had 13, 14, 13 or 14 trans. I've seen people say 13. I'm looking at 247. It says 14 transfers that they added over the past offseason. Like, you know, everybody talked about this with USC. Like, can you build a roster around the transfer portal? Well, TCU did it to a lesser degree, but t- instead of getting like huge names, TCU got a bunch of guys that fit the way Sonny Dykes wanted to play and that fit what they needed. And he's really gotten the most out of them. So I guess my question for you is, does, you know, we, we just, and you're seeing it a little bit now where people just say George is the national champion. The assumption is that George is going to win the national championship game. Um, we just kind of assume in this sport that there are like, there's the 1% and they're untouchable. There's the Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, the, the teams that are just recruiting elite five-star players every single year, stacking classes on classes. And those teams are going to win the national championship and there are going to be good stories, but they're going to ultimately end in disappointment because, you know, one of the halves of the sport is going to win the national championship. TCU has a legitimate shot to win this football game. Um, so when you look at them, do you think they're going to, sort of change the way that we maybe change the way that we evaluate contenders change the way that we evaluate roster building or i mean at the very least like change the way that we i guess interpret recruiting rankings or or change the way we we view recruiting rankings yeah i'd be surprised if there's a major change to what we think about recruiting rankings maybe more so on, on the portal side though i think you i think you outlined it well, like TCU went into the portal, I think particularly on defense, if I'm remembering correctly, but, you know, Max Duggan was there. He wasn't even starter at the start of the season. Uh, Quentin Johnston was, has been there, um, you know, and he, he looks like one of the best receivers in the country right now. So a, a lot of what they had on offense, and they did get a couple of key parts on the offensive line too, but really this is a, a good chunk of this team was there last year um, through kind of a tumultuous year that ended up Gary Patterson leaving. Um, so, so they stand out on a, on a number of fronts, you know, if it had been USC and USC was one game away from uh, being there instead of Ohio state, TCU still would have been in, I believe um, that would have been, I think that would have been floodgates open because that was the big kind of poster child for a total roster overhaul and i mean with caleb williams winning the heisman like you couldn't miss the the additions at at usc tcu is a little bit easier to miss and i think it comes at an interesting time maybe paired with cincinnati which cincinnati making it last year which has more to do with like well has everything to do with the regular season and not what they did in the playoff but as the playoff gets set to expand um you know tcu might be the last team where we one of the last teams where we have this opportunity for a team to come from nowhere from unranked in the preseason, because now somebody like TCU would be safely in a 12 team playoff. K-State would be there as well as, as the conference champion. So it's, it might be marking the end of an era. Um, and in terms of that Cinderella type story, and it's, it's not one we've seen very often. Um, so it's exciting on that front. Um. I want we were so TCU lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. Ohio State did not play for the Big 10 title. But we were a field goal away from having those two teams meeting each other 
for the national championship. So there's an argument to be made that conference championships shouldn't mean a whole lot because Ohio state went toe to toe with Georgia. And you know, like we can talk about, I was listening to somebody talk about how the questions that they had with the Buckeyes stemmed from, they spent basically an entire year saying we want to beat Michigan. We want to get back to beat Michigan. And then the, just completely face planted in that game. Um, but then they go and they play Georgia, who most people believe to be the best football team in the country right now. And they went toe-to-toe with them. Um, so there's an argument to be made that conference championships maybe just muddy the water. And that it, particularly if we're expanding the college football playoff and looking for games to sort of lop off the schedule so that we can keep things a little bit more manageable for student-athletes, maybe we just get rid of conference championship games. However, the flip side to that is what you brought up with USC. USC, had had we not had a conference championship game in the Pac-12, USC doesn't lose to Utah. USC's in the college football playoff. I, I don't know if they would have stayed at four and TCU stayed at three, or maybe they jumped to three and TCU's four. But just watching that USC team over the last couple of weeks of the regular season and then <laughs> – complete collapse against Tulane in the bowl game, like we would not have gotten a good semifinal game with USC in it. It would have been just another classic Lincoln-Riley defense gets mauled game. So like there's an argument for conference championship games. That game saved us from having to deal with what could have been a pretty boring playoff game. As as we move into sort of the next stage of the college football playoff, do you think there should be a discussion about just getting rid of conference championship games? Not yet. Um, I think it's going to, those games are too valuable to TV and thus then too valuable to the conferences and every team in them for them to just go away though. It's going to get interesting um, in when big, the big 10 expands, the sec expands, uh, I think we all expect the Big Ten to go away from divisions. I'm not quite as sure what the SEC has planned. Um, That makes things interesting because if you look at that from the Big Ten's perspective this year, if there are no divisions, if you did what the Pac-12 did, you just take the two best teams. um, Is it a Michigan-Ohio State rematch? I don't love that. Like, you know, as much as I love those two programs, um, I don't love Michigan beating Ohio State for a second consecutive year and then having to do it one more time. Um, Maybe Penn State slips in there, though probably not based on the fact that Ohio State was there when USC faltered to to slide into the final four. You know, so there's there's not a ton of good solutions. I don't not that I know off of off the top of my head, at least, but I'd be surprised if those games go away. Um, I do like I I could get behind um, just keeping the kind of top six conference champions in a, in a 12 team format and that just being regular season champions. Like I don't hate that. Um, but I, I'd be surprised if they get rid of those games just because they're, they're really valuable on that, that last weekend of college football. Yeah. I didn't even think about it from like a TV inventory standpoint, those feel probably pretty untouchable. Um, especially like big 10 with Fox. Um, maybe it's like a basketball situation where, you know, the um, the regular season champion is awarded after week 12 or week 13 or whatever it is. Um, 
after the 12th game. And then two teams go and play for a conference championship, but that game doesn't really have any bearing on what happens with the college football playoff. Could I mean, if you really wanted to get outside the box, if you're going to say the regular season champ is considered our conference's automatic qualifier candidate, got to be one of the six highest ranked, which if you're the Big Ten, the SEC is never going to be an issue. Um <laughs> It would be interesting, like, if you wanted to keep a game on that weekend, you could almost set up a kind of bracket buster. So what – we take the Big Ten this year. What if Michigan uh, Michigan beats Ohio State, wins the Big Ten regular season, and is done? Your conference championship game isn't a conference championship game. You're just trying to get another team in the playoff. So it's Ohio State, Penn State, or in a year where the West is better, you know, the West champion maybe is is your next best bet. Could be interesting um, if you wanted to be transparent and just scheme to get as many teams in the playoffs as you could. Is that, I mean, is that is that good? Or like, you know, when we're talking about expansion, like playoff expansion, maybe this – uh, set of semifinal games was like the biggest, um, I don't know, like the biggest counterpoint to expansion. Was it? These were actually really good. <laughs> so, like, if we had put other teams in there, would we have gotten as as good a quality of football as we saw? That's a fair question, and I mean, in coming off the heels of kind of the two best semifinals at least in tandem, um, maybe individually, like it, it does kind of call that into question because, you know, for, for the skepticism we've both expressed about TCU going into that, that semifinal. And also I think the credit that we have both, both have for, for TCU and what they've done, like for a team like that, uh, is having to go through another round of playoff good for them? No, it's probably not. Does it bother a Georgia? No, it probably doesn't doesn't do that either. So um, that's something that I don't think a lot of the focus, and, and I'm guilty of this for sure. I like a 12-team playoff because I'm like, let's get more teams in. Let's get a two-lane in um, and give them a shot and, and let them see what they can do. Uh, that said, um, you know, those teams winning three straight games against that level of competition – a 12-team playoff might make it the, the rich get richer even more than it is now where it feels like we start every season and there's kind of five real teams that we expect to be in the playoff and maybe somebody takes a flyer on a, a sixth or seventh team. But even that, nobody had TCU getting to where they got to. You know what I'm most – for the record, I'm, I'm still a proponent of uh, 12-team playoff. But the thing that I'm most excited about is – we're going to get a situation where you remember like when the, the golden state warriors dynasty was sort of starting and they kept facing teams in the playoffs that kept losing key players. Guys kept getting injured. I am so excited for the first playoff run that will have the asterisks because so-and-so faced three separate teams that all lost like quarterback was out starting defensive tackle was out, linebacker was out. I kind of like TCU from earlier this year where they faced like four or five teams in a row that lost their starting quarterback. Like, we're going to get one of those, and it's going to be excellent. <laughs> uh, well, college football has always been filled with asterisks, so at least we'll be used to it. 
Did you see um, Bill Conley went through recently? The complete side note: Bill Conley went through recently, and he took like all of the the split national championships over the last thirty or forty years, whatever it was, and he awarded them. Like actually, like said, no, this is who we're going to give it to. Did you happen to see that piece? I did read it. Um, didn't go well for Nebraska. Uh, it did not. <laughs> which which you know fair enough i think one of the the interesting things about uh reading that and you know knowing a lot of those arguments that existed but you know it's not often i i think back to michigan state and notre dame in like 1966 i think it was who which team was was actually better like narrative matters matters a lot and you know tcu is a team that you can look at it on paper and simulate it and say, well, most of the time they're not getting to 12 and 0. They're probably going 10 and 2. And that's fine. And and you know, that tends to be how I I look at things once they're they're done. But as they're happening, kind of like the narrative of it, um, you know, it 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 gets you places. And you think back to 1970 when Nebraska won its first national title, which they did not win it in Connolly's uh, Connolly's assessment over over the Texas team that year. Uh, it's kind of difficult to resist. I mean, Nebraska has been a good football program for most of its existence, but still, in 1970, it was a team that had yet to win a a national title. Um, so, who knows how much of like the just the narrative of it of a new team of novelty played into it? Sure. Um, so Ohio State. Ohio State played well. And like it was funny because Ryan Day goes through like the last month of the season. Like the last like two months, it feels like Ryan Day has been public enemy number one in the like Columbus and the greater surrounding area of Columbus. He's like I, the was the born on third base line. Like you could have put that he he could have had that on on his door in his office, and that would have been how people recognized him. Um they answered some questions and he gets a, a little bit of he's you know it's still Ohio State so everybody's going to want him to beat Michigan but he gets a little bit of um the heat off his back so to speak they played well Michigan also plays well Penn State goes and wins the Rose Bowl in convincing fashion um I know Illinois lost Purdue's B team lost um I think the Big 10 went 5 and 4 overall in bowl games but two teams in the college football playoff for the first time ever. We, we sort of just assume going into any given season that the SEC is going to be the best conference in football, that the SEC is going to have the best teams in the country. Did the big 10, did, did the big 10 make a, make a statement this season or like, do you think the big 10 was the best conference in football this season? Cause there was the depth was there. There were very good teams there were elite teams, and there were a couple teams that sort of came out of nowhere and were pretty good. Yeah, I I don't think this was, broadly speaking, I I don't think this is a the strongest Big Ten year I can think of, and I, you know I don't know what would be number one off the top of my head. What I think you had is you you had so Michigan being where they were at, um, that was a team that really good a year ago based on what they lost based on you know they went into the season with two quarterbacks uh resolved that fairly quickly um i did not expect michigan to be back where it was uh that them being an elite team i'm quite comfortable calling them that after this this season in particular uh surprised me a bit penn state being as close as it 
was uh, surprised me. So I think when you look at Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, you had three really, really good teams in the Big Ten. There's a pretty big gap after that, though. And I put a lot of that on the West. Um, no disrespect to um, to to Purdue, which, which ended up winning that division. No disrespect to Illinois, but it was a division that really fell in, in disarray. I think for most of the season, uh, despite Illinois kind of being undeniable in terms of record for most of the year, I, I kind of looked at Minnesota as maybe the best team in that division. And, you know, there was, there just wasn't enough separation. I think you needed one more really good team out of the West for, for me to feel like, okay, this big 10 season, maybe, or this big, big 10 conference was maybe the best in college football. There was just too much, messiness in the West for for lack of a better term for me. I said no disrespect to Illinois, no disrespect for Purdue. I agree on both fronts. Full disrespect paid to Iowa. Full disrespect. <laughs> yeah. I, I, even even Iowa I'll have to give credit kind of mid season, like flipping that thing around, going into uh going into the final week with a chance to, to punch his ticket to Indianapolis. But, but Garrett Nelson and, and Nebraska, the rest of Nebraska, Trey Palmer had, had a different idea. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Brandon, who do you have in the national championship? It's too, it's too hard to, for me to pick against Georgia. Um, you know, I said earlier in this, this podcast that there was nothing fluky about what TCU did in, and there wasn't, um, you know, College football data, I think it had its post-game win probability above 95%. Surprised me a little bit. Um, but they also got, I think, a, a really conducive start to that game. So Michigan drives down the field, and I was kind of like, oh, boy, here we go. My my two-team parlay is going to be wrecked before we even get to halftime. Um but then they run Philly special on fourth down inside the 10-yard line. And like a lot of people, I was like, that's not what I expect to see from Michigan. Um, and then they get that TCU gets an early, early turnover. Um, and it, it was kind of game on from there. And you got a couple of those plays where it was, if there was any doubt from anyone on the TCU side, I think you had reason to believe then like, Hey, we're in this, we, we belong on this field. Um, can they get that against Georgia again? And a little bit of that's out of your control. Um, if they do, then then I would probably take TCU in the points, which I think was 12 and a half at least last I looked. But in terms of straight up win, um, I think it's, I, I got to stick with Georgia. Real, real quick, um, one Nebraska note uh, before we get you out of here. Garrett Nelson is off to the NFL draft. Where's Garrett Nelson rank for you in terms of the most memorable Nebraska players over the last five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, he'll he'll be yeah he'll be up there. Um, and I I remember. So I grew up out in the Panhandle. Scotts Bluff is like our our city, our New York City out there, <laughs> town of twenty thousand people. Um, but it's kind of where you go. Uh, so anytime there's a player from out there, it doesn't happen all that often. I'm supremely interested, and I remember my brother coaches out there. And I, when they Garrett Nelson committed, I kind of called him and said, hey, you seen this kid play. What do you think? And he's kind of like, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that he kind of got this offer that, that early, but came to Nebraska, played right away, played a ton of football games. Um, not only that, he was a guy who really wore kind of his emotions on his, his sleeve. And it was clear to him that when he got up there and said, hey, I'm 
frustrated by the losing. Like he wasn't just saying it. Um, and it extended beyond the level that, you know, anybody's going to feel in that, that circumstance. So for me, he'll go down to somebody who kind of gave gave everything he had, uh, didn't get the results that he or anybody else wanted, but I, I couldn't come away questioning too much of the work that he put in as, as a, as a Husker, you know, he was somebody who was such kind of a classic fit as an in-state guy kind of, you know, hard-nosed football player that I was a little bit surprised to to see him, you know, not take advantage of, of that extra year. But I kind of went into the year thinking he's going to have the type of season that's going to put him in pretty solid draft contention. So wish him the best on that front. Yeah, happy for him. Hopeful uh, to see him. If it's not getting drafted, hopeful to see him just land in a, in a good spot, a sticking spot, because he could probably – I mean, he could he could have a – a career in the NFL if he finds the right situation, I think. So yeah, Brandon, I think he absolutely could. Yeah, hundred percent. Brandon, you got work to do. Um, thank you for for coming on the podcast. It was it was good to catch up, even just for a little bit. I figured like thirty minutes of non-Nebraska talk is pretty much the threshold for Nebraska fans talking about the college football playoffs. So thank you for uh, for indulging me and and talking about uh, some football. I appreciate it. Of course, thanks for having me. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, keep reading HillVarsity.com. If you are not subscribed, go to HillVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code Varsity. Make sure you get that taken care of. Shouts to you guys for listening to this episode every week. Shouts to Cam for producing this episode every week. I hope everyone had a, a, a fun New Year or a quiet New Year, if that's what you chose. Um, I'm boring, so we were in pajamas by like 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Um, So whatever you got to do, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. A Huda Media Production.